listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks to everyone listening. Here's episode 241. What's going on, Mark? What's going on, Pages? We got a review, but we got it in a non-typical manner, didn't we? Yeah, by by snail mail. By snail mail. This was <laughs> which is really awesome. You want to read it? Yeah. So it is from Robert Latimer with Right Way Land Compliance LLC. Page and Mark, a quick note to let you know I've come to enjoy your partnership on Oil and Gas this week and the content you produce. You guys and gals rock the program. Keep up the awesome work, Robert. Thank you, dude. He also sent he also sent Starbucks gift card because it says, P.S., it will likely be sometime before I have Mark, quote unquote, buy me a drink at the OGGN happy hour. So I have a coffee on me in the meantime. It's just so sweet. So sweet. So nice. And, you know, we need to reach out to him. Let's see, let's see if he wants to come on one of our shows as a guest. An audience. I'll take him. Don't think just because you sent us a Starbucks gift card and give us a handwritten note, you come on the show as a guest. But it's a good start. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> Usually Mark likes wine. <laughs> <laughs> don't start that. Again. <laughs> Literally, if you would see the amount, and I drink a decent amount of wine. If you see the amount of wine that we have that people ship in, it's I'm very blessed. I'm going to have to get you a storage unit. And our audience <laughs> sends us adult beverages. <laughs> But this is First Friday Q&A, so let's get into questions. Okay, the first one's from Nicola, and their question is, we have seen a significant uptick in LNG shipments over the last six months. How do you see the industry, especially vessels carrying LNG, to develop over the next 10 to 15 years? What key risks slash challenges do you expect for LNG shippers over the same time horizons? Many thanks. Nicola, do not make investment decisions based on what I'm about to say. <laughs> I do think it's funny. And I love all of y'all, right? Our audiences make this all possible. We love each and every one of you. But there's two groups that reach out to us I find humorous. One is the investors and one is the actual consultants out there. <laughs> <laughs> it's like y'all are the consultants. Y'all should know this. But let me take a stab at this. So LNG, if you would have if you've listened to the show for a long time, you know I've said up until just recently that LNG is the fuel of the future. By switching from coal to LNG, you automatically drop emissions by 60%. We finally got to the point from a technology point of view that we can move it around the earth cheaply. We've also got to the point where we have abundant supplies of natural gas. And then our 2020 election happened. We had switch in political power that coincides a lot of other, especially Western countries, difference in political thinking around LNG. And so if you spread everything out on the table, really our world should be powered by nuclear with LNG coming in to fill in the blanks and then renewables behind that. The reality is because of politics and everything else, that's not going to happen. And I'm a bit worried about LNG, even though it's the perfect fuel because of political pushback, it may not grow to the point that I thought it was going to grow. Now, with all that said, when I say short-term wise, I'm talking out to 2030, LNG is absolutely going to grow from today, unless we have another major pandemic lockdown that crushes the world's economy. From here, 2020 to 2030, we see a growth in LNG, which also means a growth in LNG exports, which also means a growth in things like LNG plants, but also things like LNG terminals, regasification, LNG ships, all the stuff that goes along with taking natural gas in one part of the world, compressing it into a liquid, moving it, 
and then unload it in another part of the world, turning it back to gas and putting it into the system. So when I look out to 2030, I still think the world will be burning, you know, 600 to 700 million metric tons a year of LNG. That may actually go up a little bit. And I actually see the potential to go up higher than that. A lot of us could pin on the world's politics. A lot of companies have made a huge investments, Chevron, in the fact that LNG will be the fuel of the future. ExxonMobil is not far behind in the same way with Shell and their Prelude project. So with all those investments by big companies that typically don't make enormous CapEx mistakes, I think LNG is here to stay. I think you asked about the risk. The risk, quite frankly, is politics. It's pure and simple. Everything else just shows a need for LNG. Like I said, it's a clean burn of fuel. We can now finally move it around. You know, short-term wise, say out to 2030, I think it will continue to grow. It will be interesting to see if it actually breaks the infrastructure barrier into vehicles. LNG can run a vehicle, and I'm sure everybody's seen the buses run around their towns with either LNG or CNG or, you know, some type of compressed natural gas run it. LNG is really great for those short hop type of things. The problem is it doesn't have the amount of power or potential energy or BTUs at things like gasoline and diesel. So you have to carry more LNG to cover shorter distances. There's even some big rigs out there. Think 18 wheelers that are running LNG. But you know what, Paige? Hmm. When you see those LNG truckers and you see that sleeper cab behind the cab, instead of that sleeper cab being a room for the drivers with microwaves and air conditioned beds, it's full of LNG. They oh. hide it because they need so much more fuel to cover the same distance. Interesting. Yeah. So I think the growth is there. The real pivotal moments could come around 2035, 2040, depending on what the world is doing as far as zero emissions and low carbon and everything. But for the next 10 years, I see pure growth, Nikolai. And so hopefully it helps you. Once again, don't make investment decisions on what I think is going to happen. <laughs> All right, so the next question is from Roderick Threats, CEO, Executive Director of Black Patriot Media Group. Since Biden lifted the sanctions on Matthias Warneg, the Managing Director of Nord Stream AG, what is your opinion of what will be the immediate impacts on the natural gas imports to the U.S.? Okay, so And I know this guy. This is my buddy. This is my buddy, Rod. Hey, Rod. Not that you're my buddy, but anybody of Paige is a buddy of mine. I actually, I believe I spoke with him. Yeah, you have. Yeah. Just a great guy. Heart's in the right place. I agree with a lot of stuff that he talks about. He's a big TikToker, right? Yes, he is. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got his own podcast called Southern Liberty. And if you happen to go listen to that, you might hear a very familiar voice because I did his voiceover. Oh, did you really? I did. Okay. We got to put links in the show notes here, but go check out Rod's (laughs) podcast just so you can hear the voiceover. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about this. So this project, the Nord Stream 2 project, pipeline project, basically was a project to move Russian natural gas to Germany. And in case you don't know what's happened in Germany, about 10 years ago, they had this wonderful program called Interwin, where they wanted to move over to about 30% renewables. And so the entire country jumped behind it. The citizens jumped behind it. And you know what happened, Paige? What? It failed. Yep. Yep. So they actually had to build more coal-fired power plants than they had originally to cover up the weaknesses of wind and solar, which actually means that Germany started emitting more CO2 than they were before they started this whole problem. And here's where it gets really dicey. Germany has always been known for precision manufacturing. Think of any type of metal precision manufacturing, watches, knives, guns. The best in the world came from Germany. Well, since the cost of electricity went up from a failed interwind program dramatically, a lot of people were paying the same amount for electricity after the Interwind program as their house note. I mean, that's crazy. Can you imagine us paying the same amount for electricity as our house note? That's insane. 
So what happened is electricity is one of the biggest costs for manufacturing, especially precision manufacturing. So Germany managed to drive all the precision manufacturing out of Germany, right? Because they couldn't afford electricity and be competitive. Well, because they drove all this precision manufacturing, they drove jobs out of Germany. So guess what German government decided to do? What's that? Let's buy some natural gas because this renewable thing isn't really working for us anymore. <laughs> and so guess where they go buy natural gas from? Where? Russia, right? Well. There's a couple of, of countries out there that are selling natural gas to the rest of the world. One's Russia, one's us, and then right behind us is, is the Middle East. So what happened is our previous administrations imposed sanctions, which rightly show targeting the owner of the pipeline, the contractors, and the people that finance it. Because they said this deal linking Russia and Germany is fraught with fraud, and these sanctions went against a lot of the regulations that the U.S. had put out there. Well, our current administration has now announced they will remove those sanctions on the pipeline contractors, but not on the company overseeing the project, but they did remove the sanctions on the financiers and what is his name? Matthias. Matthias. And they removed it on, on Matthias. So this is what's going to happen. Moscow is going to build this pipeline. They're going to actually invest a lot of money in the infrastructure on the German side of the pipeline to help get that gas into the German system. Because Germany had tried to move away from things like natural gas, a lot of their natural gas infrastructure needs to be upgraded, remodeled, right? Because it's old and they never right. put yeah, money yeah, back yeah. into it. Then once Russia gets this infrastructure up to speed on the German side and they start shipping natural gas, they're going to deliver this natural gas at a very cheap price. What they're going to do is they could drive out of business anybody that competes with natural gas in Germany for electricity. And unfortunately, renewable people, that's you, right? Once Russia drives the wind and the solar out of business financially, forget subsidies, that's where Germany screwed up. But once they, they drive them out of the market, then just like they did in Europe, they're going to go up in prices. And guess what choice the government the people in the, the government of Germany have at that point, zero choices. Yeah. Right? yeah. So that's what's going to happen. As much as I sometimes the Russian geopolitics with oil and gas gets under my skin, they're not dumb. They're smart. Well, yeah. And for them to go capture <laughs> another market and put a choke on, on, on it makes total sense to me. And that's where it's going to go. Our past administration was trying to stop that from happening. It looks like our new administration is actually encouraging this to happen. Not sure why, but Rod, that's where I think this is going to go. All right, so the next question is from Veronica, and she actually gave us a review, which we read the last episode, so I'll just get to her question. As someone who recruits high school seniors in our energy management program, which, by the way, she's at Western Colorado University, I'm finding the concept of oil and gas difficult to connect with the younger generation on. We have several partners in the industry to support scholarships, internships, job placements, and quite frankly, not enough graduates to supply them. We need the younger generation coming into the industry and to that point, what advice would you give recruiters to get more kids pursuing careers in our industry? Thanks for all you do, Veronica. Great question, Veronica. Veronica, actually also really appreciate the review. This is a tough situation. My first bit of advice, Veronica, is all the old ways that used to work for, for you and your peers to recruit, throw them out the window. They don't work anymore. The second thing is go give a listen to our show called A Journey to the Energy C-Suite. That show is sponsored by a university specifically to get students into their MBA program, and it's working, right? So there's a perfect example of how a university thought outside the box. They found us, they talked to us, and we're helping them solve that problem and getting more, basically more butts and seats. But what we're also doing is we're helping this younger generation earn, understand the benefit of getting a degree in something like petroleum engineer, geology, geophysics, and come work in the oil and gas industry. So, Veronica, you're going to have to really change your approach. Social media is good. Just remember that it looks like you're after the Generation Zs. 
So the Generation Zs don't really use our generation social media. They may have a Facebook account, but the truth is they don't use it. And They're they, using Instagram. Well, if they do use Facebook, you don't know about it because it's under a false name because they don't want mom and dad to know what they're doing. But a lot of them page are on things like Discord or on Snapchat yeah. or Instagram, to your point. And so, Veronica, you need to develop some domain expertise. And how do you market on those social platforms? Or even so, TikTok, you know? And TikTok. And the way you market, Veronica, is by not marketing. What you do is, well, let's use TikTok. You can show some really cool videos. You can shoot and record some really cool videos of some of the fun stuff your students are doing. Lay Overlay the TikTok format, which is the music and the graphics and everything. And now all of a sudden, you're you're showing what's is cool and fun to a bunch of young people on a social media platform that they use. And the cost to you will be zero if you learn how to use TikTok. The other thing is, you know, make sure that you're able to articulate the value in a way that makes sense to this younger generation. This younger generation really doesn't care about pay. They want to be paid, and they're going to make sure they get paid well, but they're really more concerned about shared experiences, about life experiences. So Talk about your degree in a way, not that you can get a job with Exxon for 30 years. Talk about your degree program and, hey, you know, if you get a job with petroleum engineers, every three or four years, you can go live in a different country, right? You can have different experiences doing different things. Talk about how you can help save the planet as a geologist or a geophysicist. Yeah. So that's what you need to do. And, Ron, if I can help you with this, because I have a special place in my heart for our world's young people, reach out to me directly and let's have a call. You know, if I can help you this, I'd be happy to do so. Okay, so the next question comes from Aaron, who is a student. Hello, I'm a petroleum engineering student at Texas Tech University. Go Raiders. Love the podcast, and it's very informative topics that are discussed. I have a question on the recent news about electric cars and reducing emissions. The current administration stated that they will have more electric cars and will have zero emissions by 2050. How will this impact the future of the oil and gas industry, or will it impact it at all? Thank you, and keep doing what you are doing. Hey, Aaron, thanks for reaching out. So let's kind of talk through this. So first thing is electric cars are awesome in their in the right circumstance. I drove a Tesla. I want a Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> They're just awesome cars that happen to be electric. The problem is right now is we need a new battery technology, and it's right around the corner. There's a bunch of super smart people around the world working on breakthroughs in battery technology. And basically, the problem is batteries are too heavy for the amount of power you can put into them. So even though a Tesla P85 is super fast, darn thing weighs 7,000 pounds, right? So we got we got to fix it. And, and that's literally right around the corner, which, by the way, Paige, a lot of people don't know this. Before Henry Ford figured out that he could build an internal combustion engines cheaply and run on gasoline, do you know what all cars originally ran on? What's that? Electricity. Ah. The original automobiles were electric cars, but they used lead-acid batteries in glass jars. You talk about heavy. Ooh. And so their range was two or three miles. Yeah. But still, it was cool that it wasn't a horse. Yeah, right? I didn't know that. Yeah, and then Henry Ford – well, so back then, we used to throw away gasoline as waste. All the refineries produced kerosene and produced light, and they literally pumped gasoline in lakes and let it evaporate. And then Henry Ford figured out that there was this thing called internal combustion engine, but they needed a cheap fuel, and he had to run across the gasoline that was just being thrown away in Eureka, right? And so that's why we have internal combustion engines now mass-produced. Anyway, back to Aaron's question. So first thing, what is zero emissions? Zero emissions is not the world's ability to have mechanical devices that emit zero greenhouse gases. That will never happen. Let's talk about electric vehicles. Let's talk about Tesla. So what happens when you drive a Tesla, it's not zero emissions. All you did is move the emissions both physically and in time. So that Tesla was charged by electricity. The electricity was generated by electrical plant. Here in the U.S., it's most likely either coal or natural gas, both of which had emissions. So even though there's no tailpipe with a Tesla emitting emissions in real time, 
18 hours ago when the electricity was generated at the coal-fired power plant, there was emissions. So there's, it's not that Teslas don't have emissions. You just move them. The other thing is what a lot of our political, the, our smart political leaders are talking about when they say zero emissions is basically the a balance. How much greenhouse gases do we put out? Let's, let's just pick with the U.S. How much greenhouse gases does the U.S. put out as a country? And then how much of those greenhouse gases can we remove from the atmosphere? So as a country, let's say we put out 100 metric tons a day. If we can remove 100 metric ton, tons a day, that is called net zero. But if you understand what I'm saying, it has it's not net zero emissions. It's just net zero because we removed it. The removing part is another whole ball of wax. I could spend all day talking about the reality of that versus the cost of it versus what our politicians want versus what physics allows. But the impact of electric cars on emissions really is very negligible. The real impact, honestly, is the generation of electricity. The next layer is transportation as a whole. And then you get into stuff like agriculture. But the one thing that will produce more CO2 and all that put together is something as simple as a volcanic eruption. So there's a whole bunch of moving parts here, Aaron. But you're asking me how this all will affect the future of the oil and gas industry. It's a market for us. So don't be worried. Is he a petroleum engineer? Yeah, he's a petroleum engineer. So probably, Aaron, a lot of your friends, maybe in your family, are telling you you're crazy to become a petroleum engineer because that job's going to disappear because nobody's going to use oil and gas in the next 20 years. They have no idea what they're talking about. (laughs) Matter of fact, there's going to be a shortage of petroleum engineers because people listen to their friends and parents, which means you're going to be very highly sought after, very highly paid in a very unique position. The renewables market and things like electrical vehicles is all just a market for hydrocarbons. Nothing, including solar, wind, geothermal, or Teslas, can be manufactured without hydrocarbons. Right. And so it's just a market for us. So like I've said this a million times, but as we go through time – We'll use less and less hydrocarbons for fuel, but more hydrocarbons to make stuff. And, you know, the U.S. has burned 20 million barrels a day for the last 30 years. That's not changing. It's just we're using more of those hydrocarbons to make things versus using for fuels. So if you're worried about the future, Aaron, the future's bright for you as long as you graduate. (laughs) (laughs) And I know you will. (laughs) All right. So the next question comes from Jerry, which is a manager at a company I cannot pronounce. So I'm not going to try. Paige and Mark, thank you for the podcast. It really gets me more enthusiastic about oil and gas. Would love to hear your comments from this cell. And you provide a link. And the link is to an article that says, U.S. Rep renews calls against Deer Park Pemex cell. Yes, I'm actually glad, Jared, you sent this article. So we talked a a while back about how Shell is selling the fuel refinery side of their Deer Park refinery, which, by the way, I've been there. And it is a city in a city. And I said that Shell was keeping the terminal side of the house and the petrochemical side of the house. This is interesting. I missed this. This is why I'm glad Jerry sent it. So one of our senators, or sorry, one of our representatives here in Texas wrote a statement basically saying that he opposes this Deer Park's sale to Pemex based on Pemex's safety history. Well, that's, I mean, that's no, re- that's pretty relevant. No. And, you know, <laughs> we're right here in Houston, and, and BP, I love you to death, but it's almost a joke that, you know, every other year the BP refinery piece of it blows up somewhere. You know, refineries are dangerous operations, not just dangerous to the people that work in it, but to the local communities. And we can't have somebody come in that can't run a safe and environmentally friendly operation. And unfortunately, when I think about HS&E metrics, I think about Pemex and I think about Shell, Pemex is nowhere near the same level 
as Shell is. And sorry, my friends that work at Pemex, but it's just, it's my opinion. And I, I, that's based on facts. And so this letter that Brian wrote, the representative from Texas, is basically saying he doesn't think it's safe for Pemex takes ownership, that Pemex doesn't really care when they have incidences on their side of the border where they have leaks or spills or explosions. They don't report it. When people get hurt, they don't compensate them for it. And so I get it. Not quite sure I want the deal to fall through. I think maybe a better approach would be to sit down with Pemex and put some guidelines in place and make it part of the contract, the operating contract with the state of Texas or maybe even the port where if they don't hit certain hs metrics, they get penalized, they get fined. I think that would drive the right behavior. But I totally get that you know, you don't want a foreign investor that has a less than stellar safety record buying one of the largest refineries in the U.S. So let's see what happens with this. This is a great point, Jerry. I'm so thank you for sending this in because this is something I missed and it's actually really important. Yeah, yeah. And the U.S. representative was Brian Babin in the 36th. Yeah, and it looks like John Corden, which is actually my senator. Your personal senator? Girl. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you know who I am, Mark? <laughs> Not really. It looks like they went to Biden about it, and they were like, "We need to, we need to level the playing field." So, wait, he, we didn't finish the rest of Jerry's question. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, also, I would like to hear your thoughts on OTC this year and its short show space, giving more Florida des- domestic U.S. shale related companies. We're going there this week. Yeah, by the, people, by the time you hear this, we've already went and left. <laughs> <laughs> but my opinion. OTC has been slow, not just OTC, but all the major oil and gas conferences up until 2020 were slowly dying a death of a thousand paper cuts. You've heard me talk about this before. The value that used to be there before the internet's no longer there. The exhibitors each year get smaller and smaller. I mean, I remember going to OTC and Exxon was there and Mobile was there and Chevron was there and Texco was there and Unical. All the operators for a decade haven't been there. Given more space, the shell-related companies is interesting. The bigger thing, Paige, is there's much more space being given to the renewable side. Yeah, that's which, true. Which this will be the first time we'll get to see it. We haven't seen it yet, but we will see it this week. We'll report back. Yeah, so we'll report back. So, Jerry, let's wait. This year's OTC is really be interesting. Number one, it's much smaller. Number two, it's in the hottest time of the year, which I don't know why they did that. Because, which by the way, listeners from other parts of the world, especially North Sea, it's like deadly hot this time of year. Please and don't, humid, humid. Please don't wear the three-piece wool suits and just <laughs> it's you're, you're setting yourself up for disaster. But the other thing is, you know, we're having as of today so far, we've had Schlumberger pull out of OTC because of the Delta variety coming out. I expect other companies. I've, I've talked to several. Large oil and gas service companies, they're all paying attention to this. We as OGDN are paying attention to this because this yeah. could affect our live events. And some of our partners, and remember our partners are some of the biggest tech companies in the world, also have started to kind of backslide a little bit on that. Well, and let's get to the next question because it kind of goes into that. Okay. All right. So the next question is from Emily. And uh, what's funny about it, she works for Pemex. Um, oh, that's so bizarre. <laughs> so she asks, how do you think the new Delta variant of COVID virus will impact our industry? Hope Paige is doing better. I am. Love you too's chemistry, by the way. Emily, I'm so sorry. I, if I would have known that you were the next question, <laughs> I, I might have not talked about the next no, no. safety record as no, much well, as I It did. is what it is, Mark. No, it is. It is. And then if you don't know this, people, Pemex has multiple divisions. The group that I was talking about is the state-run oil and gas company, nationalized oil company in Mexico. Pemex also has a U.S. division, which is probably who Emily works for. Though she I would assume say. so. So how do you think this new variety of the COVID virus impact our industry? <laughs> couple of ways. So we talked, I mean, you just heard me saying that companies are starting to kind of backpedal a little bit as far as getting together in person, mask mandates, vaccine mandates. We have one of our partners 
that has went so far backwards because they're so worried about the safety of their people that now their people cannot attend any function unless everybody's been proven vaccinated. And so then I had to push back and go, look, I get it. But as a company, not only will we not enforce that, we're not going to question anybody about that. It's just not something we're going to do. Yeah, That's that company's right to do that to employees because it's worried about keeping its people safe. The thing I'm worried about longer term, Emily, quite frankly, is our demand has started growing up. Thank God. In the last episode, too, we talked about how refineries are starting to finally make money. And if this thing gets out of hand and if people get scared again and countries and companies start clamping down, we could head back to a lockdown. won't be as bad as it was in 2020, but it could still happen. And if we did that, this growth in demand, which is basically saving our industry, will disappear. And that's what I don't want to have happen. So we have our eye on this. We have our top scientists every day to check it in with me, making sure. <laughs> you know, we got yeah. all these big boards everywhere. We're tracking these little viruses all over the place. So fingers crossed, Emily, that this thing gets over with by the end of this summer and the Delta variant and all the other varieties of the COVID vaccine get identified so we can work them in next year's flu vaccine, in which case all this will just go away. Okay, so the next one's from Tom, which is litigation support for one of them big companies. <laughs> that's what it says. I'm just no, reading it. <laughs> Paige, what's going on with the Baltimore 2018 May case against the oil companies being sued for concealing their environmental impact? And have any of these type of frivolous cases here in the U.S. ever been successful? By the way, it makes all the difference in the world that you have come from our industry and have a regulatory background. There are some other oil and gas podcasts that have zero expertise sitting behind the <laughs> microphone and it shows. Sad face. So basically what is happening with this is that the Supreme Court has sided with the oil companies. Yes, this has been going on since 2018. And it really is talking about in uh, the article I found on the Hill that Baltimore alleged that the production and misleading marketing of fossil fuels from defendants, including Shell, BP, ExxonMobil, and Chevron, has exacerbated climate change. But their decision lately did not delve into those issues as the court instead looked at whether the case should be heard in front of federal state court. So that's really where we're at. I'm actually going to include a link that shows exactly where we are in the case, which is being seen in the Fourth Circuit so I'm not a lawyer. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> so there's a lot of Latin I don't understand in a lot of this stuff. But it just, they're basically, Baltimore is wasting taxpayers' money by coming. Like you said, it's pretty frivolous. I think it's a little out of hand. Hey, Baltimore, you're built on ancient swamp that you drained, that you stole from the Indians. I think that's probably a bigger environmental impact. <laughs> Than anything else out there. I'm not quite sure why you're picking the oil and gas industry other than it fits into your political agenda. Stop it. Well, it, they just, they want money. I think they went after 26 companies. So, yeah, it's still sitting there in limbo. So I hate to see a store stuff happen. But, you know, if you're a county or state government and you really think that a group of companies like the oil and gas companies impacted the environment, I don't think bringing them to court is going to make a difference. That's not going to change behavior, right? No, they're just to wasting point, resources. I, yeah, to your point, I, I just I don't even know if they're after money because ExxonMobil, I promise you, has a way bigger legal budget than the city of Baltimore <laughs> yeah. does, right? Yeah. And also suspect that the councils on ExxonMobil probably are top tier talent compared to oh yeah 
you know, s- s- people that are working in the Baltimore side of the house. So there's no way this is about money. I think it's about politics. And this is ridiculous. To s- it's either or, you know? Yeah. Anyway, so what you said, Paige, for understanding is that this this is case has been dismissed or it's been it's still pending. Um, or it's the Supreme just, Court sided with the oil and gas companies. They sided with oil and gas companies to be heard in federal court versus state. Local court. Okay, right. gotcha. Yeah. To my point, some different degree of legal proudness probably at the federal level. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I hope. <laughs> Maybe well, not. It, well, so what it says in the last filing, which was May 17th, it says Fourth Circuit judgment affirming remand order vacated and case remanded for Fourth Circuit to consider defendants other grounds for removal. Okay. So, but like I said, I have a link here that's on the Columbia University website that has everything from the day of filing. So you can scrummage through that if you like. I like how big companies, which is literally what he said, their litigation support team needs your help. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We should tell the story about how you helped us with our lawsuit and the DA said, which lawyer filled out the, the, did the paperwork, it was better email. So I go, it's it's Paige Wilson did it, our host, (laughs) all guys industry leaders. And literally the DA said, we have attorneys that can't do this quality of work. It's not rocket science, folks. Just fill out your freaking paperwork. It's it's straightforward. Anyway, so the next question is from Michelle, which is a project manager at Devon. I love everything you do. I've been a fan for years, and it's amazing to see what OGGN has grown into. All of the great content, your live events, your culture of giving back, and the passion you have for the industry is contagious. And Paige has to be the coolest co- <laughs> co-host ever. Agreed. But help me understand why some of your new shows are quote-unquote energy focus and not quote-unquote oil and gas focus is this because of your advertisers i just can't see mark or page selling out for a dollar regardless i will always be a big fan and listener so we show page and i and the entire ogg and crew will never sell out this no is part of our core culture from the very beginning and so i think what you're asking me and, and please michelle don't take us the wrong way be real careful like actually sit down for a second do a little bit of self-reflection do you feel like the renewables are in competition with oil and gas? And if you do, it's okay. A lot of people feel that way. And the reason that feel that way is somebody, some very smart marketer about 15 years ago decided that if they could make oil and gas and renewables see each other's competition, that we would fight and keep us from working together, which then would allow one side to make money, another side not. That's that's the bottom line. Me personally, renewables, it's just energy. I don't care whether it comes from hydrocarbons or solar or geothermal or nuclear or you got 47,000 mice running in wheels. It's energy. And so what's happening is the world is changing. The market is changing. And so OGGN is changing with it. Hydrocarbons are our focus. Hydrocarbons are our passion. I believe that the oil and gas industry is the most important industry to mankind ever. And that has not wavered one bit. However, now the oil and gas industry is having to worry about things like emissions, like low carbon. So that's why we've launched a low carbon solution podcast. It's not anti-oil and gas. It's literally pro-oil and gas because oil and gas industry can be low carbon. The same way with our journey to the energy C-suite, right? It's not just leaderships in the oil and gas industry that we like to tell their stories. What about leaders in wind? They face a lot of the same problems that the leaders in Chevron and Shell face. So it's not that we're choosing one or the other. It's all the same. It's just energy. And what we're doing is launching more shows to capture more pieces of the market. And by the way, Michelle, we don't just randomly launch these shows because we feel like it. (laughs) This is our audiences like you reaching out to us saying, hey, we would love to see a a show on, you know, energy scale-ups. Well, we did it. We'd love to see a show on low-carbon solutions. Well, we did it. So it's not one or the other, Michelle. It's all together. We're just adapting with the market. You will never, never, I will put a million-dollar check if I ever do this. We will never, ever be anti-hydrocarbon, be anti-oil and gas because we know the reality. 
But at the same time, we also want to face the reality of things like solar and wind and everything else. And I also want to make a comment about this is we've been seen as an acquisition. We're, we're not going anywhere. This is our company. We're going to do what we're doing and keep doing so. And even though we have sponsors, they don't have any creative input. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. So, Michelle, we don't have advertisers. We don't run our company. Nope. We have sponsors. There's a subtle difference. An advertiser has a direct relationship in you helping them sell something, yep. right? Which means it drives the wrong behavior, which means you're now worried about what the advertiser thinks. We have sponsors, and our sponsors have zero editorial control. It's in our contract on yep. purpose. I love IBM. We all love IBM. If IBM did something really stupid, we would talk about it being really stupid, right? We wouldn't you know, make it worse than it is, but we would talk talk about it. And that's one of the things that's core in what we do. So I'm glad you brought that up, Paige. It's not our sponsors. They have no influence on what we do. They actually love a lot of the stuff that we do yeah. that's pro-hydrocarbon. It's not that. And then to Paige's point, we are an acquisition target. Somebody tries to buy us once a month for some reason or another, and we're not doing <laughs> it. And the reason we're not doing it is because we're afraid we're going to end up where you think we are, Michelle. We're afraid if we let somebody buy us, we no longer have complete control of the company, and they may start pushing us down the road that's anti-hydrocarbons. And we're just not going to do quit. it. Yeah, we'll all quit, <laughs> but we're not going to sell the company. Right, exactly. <laughs> now, wait, let me back up because I thought about this the other day. If somebody offered us a crazy amount of money, we would have this team sit down. Yeah, we would have to that. have a discussion about uh, it. But, but the normal three to six times income valuation, no, we're, we're not we're not budging. No, no. Okay, this is a good one. Go yeah, to this yeah, one. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this is from the entire Earth Science team at Chevron, which are not rock nerds. Mark, we are fascinated every time you mention hydrocarbons being present outside of our planet Earth. Can you elaborate a little bit more? And do you really have a beauty queen on staff? If so, are you hiring? <laughs> <laughs> I'll address the last question. We have one of our producers is running for Miss Texas. So so does that mean she's a beauty queen? I don't know. Or she has to win to be a beauty queen. I'm a tomboy, dude. I don't know anything about pageants. I don't know anything about any of that. So I guess you should just go on about the hydrocarbons outside of Earth. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> God, I don't know where to start with this. So how about let's talk about scale. Okay. So you've heard me talk before about Saturn that has a moon called Titan. And Titan's covered with lakes and natural gas. The one thing I haven't talked about Titan is that the proven amount of reserves on Earth of natural gas is 130, 150 billion tons. That's enough to last us until the sun burns out. We're not getting rid of that anytime soon. Titan has four times the amount of natural gas. Jeez. So Titan has four times the amount of hydrocarbons that we have here on Earth, right? Right. That's just Titan. Yeah. Right? Then hydrocarbons are formed here on Earth through organic reactions. And I don't need to go through that with the... <laughs> Entire Earth Science team at Chevron. Y'all probably know that better than I do. But one of the differences in outer space is instead of the hydrocarbons coming from organic reactions, it comes from nuclear reactions around a molecule, very large, very clunky molecule called polycritic aromic hydrocarbons. Right? Say that three times fast. Polycritic aromic hydrocarbons, polycritic no, aromic just, hydrocarbons. That was a joke, Mark. I wasn't being serious. <laughs> and so what's really interesting about this, the large hydrocarbon molecules are all over space, like hydrogen. They're everywhere. And what happens is as they're bombarded with radiation from whatever stars they're close to, it actually breaks down into the conventional hydrocarbons that we have. So we have massive amounts of hydrocarbons in the universe and in our galaxy and in our solar system. It's natural. Then we have the organic hydrocarbons that are produced here on Earth. And also, it looks like on Titan, 
That's what's really interesting to me about Titan is those hydrocarbons came from organic reactions. Well, you can't have organic reactions unless you have organic material, and you cannot have organic material unless you have life, which then tells me there's life on Titan. And I realize they're microbes, and they're very niched. I mean, it's like, what, negative 290 degrees there, no water. And so the lakes of liquid natural gas are probably the fluids they use for their metabolism. So the life forms could be dramatically different. It may not even be a carbon-based life form. It could actually be a copper-based life form. I could spend two hours talking about the differences and how they would work in those really frigid temperatures. But to answer your question, Chevron rock nerds, hydrocarbons are everywhere in outer space. They're super abundant. They're formed by the natural decay of these large clunky molecules due to radiation, and they're also formed through organic actions. So back to my original thing that people think I'm crazy, but I suspect somewhere in the future, maybe even before I pass away, we'll be watching TV and you'll see equipment out in outer space mining asteroids and planets for valuable minerals. And that is equipment's going to be labeled with Halliburton and Baker Hughes. And I think actually Amazon as well. Too. Well, yeah, because yeah. weren't you talking about whenever, you know, because they did all their their little escort, you know, trips to space and stuff. But you, you were talking about how they're ultimately looking at drilling on Mars, maybe. So their end game is the commercialization of space. 100%. Right. Yeah. Commercialization. Just like galactic end game is the tourism of space. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, I know this could happen. Now, when this could happen, I don't know, but it's happening. But anyway, I appreciate y'all reaching out. And if y'all want to talk more about my opinions of hydrocarbons in outer space, take me to lunch. <laughs> Okay, so the next question is from Imani, electrical engineer at Slumberjay. First thing, I absolutely love the show, along with your industry leaders, whoop, digital doers, and journey to the energy C-suite. I don't know how you manage to produce such valuable and entertaining content, but please keep it up. Our industry really needs more people like you. I'd like both of you to comment on this, but am I the only one that thinks workplace diversity programs do more harm than good? I totally get that at some point in the past, these programs help move the needle. But as a woman in the industry, I simply want to be treated like everyone else. Not singled out because I am a female. Or is this just my hormones acting up? <laughs> Pun intended. Hey, girl. <laughs> so, Imani, that was funny. Yeah, that I, is funny. I took funny. a little bit of courage to throw that in there. <laughs> so, I'm kind of with you on this. I wouldn't even say harm than good. I think everybody should just be equal. I tried being part of like when, you know, Women's Energy Network and all that stuff. And I really just hang out with people in the industry. I don't care what gender they are or any of that. I just, I actually get along better with guys for the most part. So I kind of want to chill with them instead of, and network with everybody, not just a specific gender. I mean, honestly, I just don't want to get on everybody else's same cycle. <laughs> Speaking of hormones. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So this one's interesting to me. We've come a long way here in Europe, and I'm going to agree with you, Imani, that a lot of the companies that have diversity programs, I think the diversity programs in itself, in its nature of even being formed, causes division. Yeah. And so I think it's the point now that where that needs to go away here in Europe. But when I think of places like Africa or Russia or China, where women are still the minority. Yeah, and that would make sense. They really need some diversity programs, and they, they need to understand that it's people. It has nothing to do with your sex, your sexual orientation, country of birth, your religion, none of that stuff, right? Right. And so I think in some parts of the world, we probably need to have more of that. In some parts of the world, we need to have less than that. And that's a struggle. Imagine running, running a company the size of BP and having to figure out which parts of the world you're going to have those programs in and which ones they aren't. And then it changes, right? Look what's happening literally under our feet right now in Afghanistan. Afghanistan is going to go backwards as far as feminine equality. Yeah. 
in the next week, they're going to go backwards 300 years, yeah. right? And so I get it though. And then the hard thing for me to relate to, really hard thing, is I'm not female. Yeah. And so I, this is everything I'm saying is based upon my female business acquaintances and friends in the industry and what I see, but I'm not really female. So it's hard for me to, I mean, I can't put myself 100% in your shoes. Well, one thing I'm for is maybe like a leadership thing that involves diversity, but just a generic type i don't feel that makes sense or is then, going anywhere and then you and i have had this discussion page at oggn we would like some more diversity i mean we have a high f- percentage of females at workforce but most of our people are caucasian americans right mm-hmm. and i'd like some more diversity but then what do we do we don't want to hire just no we want to hire talent no we hire yeah. talent i don't yeah. care what you look like, what your name is, none of that matters to me. I yeah. want talent and I need someone with a brain. And so when we were smaller, that's how we ran it. Now that we're bigger, we're starting to question that a little bit. It's like, what is the balance there? And to your point, we think the balance today is just to hire the best. I don't care where you're from, anything. But if you run a big company, especially one that's public that has shareholders, this sort of stuff matters. So I think this is a gray area. But I do agree with you. That I think that a lot of the companies that forces down people's throats here and in Europe, that it just probably just needs to go away. Yeah, especially since it's forced. That's definitely the part I absolutely agree with her on. All right, so final question from Emily, and she is go-to-market partnerships for HubSpot. Mark, I'm a fan even though I'm not in the oil and gas industry. I believe you have explained this before, but can you talk through what Modal Point does versus what OGGN does? And Paige, if your hair color is natural, I'm jealous. LOL, keep up the great work. Actually, so my roots are natural. I just do crazy stuff on the ends of it. So, what were pictures well, she saw? Probably the album art. That's my the original color. Yeah, that's yeah. my yeah, that's my natural color with a couple of highlights. All right, Emily, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, and the reason I'm pausing here is, is modal point has changed. So, in order for me to explain this to you, I'm going to tell you the story, but I got to make it short because we're running out of time. So, basically, modal point was my company I started about 15 years ago. It was a market research company focused on oil and gas to help companies sell better. So, basically, think of it as a sales enablement company based upon market research niche in oil and gas. The podcast thing came out of nowhere. It blew up. So, I had to focus all my attention on that. OGGN is the podcast network. It is owned by Modal Point. During that time, we had to quit doing the market research work because I didn't trust anybody because I'm that guy. And so, we flipped Modal Point to be our public speaking platform because we get paid to speak. And Modal Point was our speaking platform for years. And then recently, I met a guy named Michael O'Sullivan, who name probably sounds familiar to you. He's the host of our Digital Doer show and Oil Gas Tech show. He's also the chief operating officer of OGGN. He earned that role. We gave it to him, I think, the beginning of this year. Yeah. But he's also one of the directors at Modal Point. With his help, we're now able to go back and do that market research. So Modal Point owns OGGN. Modal Point is now and will stay our oil and gas sales enablement company based upon market research. And OGGN is the media component of that. So since you're from HubSpot, I'm sure you can see how this fits. You know, if if somebody comes to Modal Point and says, hey, we need to help sell this tool to oil and gas industry, we figure out who would buy it, why would they buy it, what problem do you solve, and then what messaging do you need to help educate the people to buy your product, and then how do you get in front of those people at scale? As part of that, you may need some marketing help and some exposure. Well, guess what? 
We have the top oil and gas podcast in the world. So naturally, we would roll you over, get you on a podcast, explain what you're doing. And so those two companies mesh really well together. So hopefully, Emily, that that makes sense to you. If not, reach back out to me because actually we've been kind of eyeballing HubSpot. Maybe I'll make a trade. Maybe you let me try HubSpot for a little bit and I'll give you some <laughs> free marketing exposure. <laughs> but we have been eyeballing HubSpot. So anyway, Emily, I hope that helps. If, if not, reach back out. I'll be happy to explain it to you. All right. So this week's rig count, United States, we're up to 500. So we're up nine. That's awesome. Canada is 164. We're up eight internationally, 751 down seven. So it's all looking great. Speaking of looking great, what's at the end of this month, Paige? The happy hour. Our happy hour. Which I'll actually be at this month. Yeah. So people, <laughs> this has become world famous. People fight to get in. I love how you like got real close to the mic for that. There's lines. Sometimes people camp out the day before. <laughs> okay, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit. Anyway, it's the last Thursday of every month. This month is sponsored by Verizon, and we're actually looking at the future workforce it should be tons of fun. Check out any of our social, the invites out there. We charge a nominal fee, like 20 bucks, free food, free drinks, get to network with the cool people in oil and gas. And the part of the proceeds we raid goes to Red M to help fight human sex trafficking. So when you come to our happy hour, you help us fund the fight, which is awesome. Yes. So come check it out. If you go, come find me. I've met two or three people. Don't worry. I'm going to go out on the limb and say he's going to be wearing a black shirt and jeans. <laughs> Just for that, I'm a wear a dark brown shirt and jeans. <laughs> Speaking of shirts, if you want to register and get the IBM shirt, it's freaking awesome. We give away one a week. The shirt has a unique serial number, which is instantly collectible. Check out the link in the show notes. If you don't win, you can register every week. And then Paige, it's interesting. So the number of people that have been signing up for the shirts has been going down. And so audience, I don't know if you're just tired of it, if you don't see the value in it, or since you didn't win, you have sour grapes and you go, well, I'm just not going to enter anyway. So if the number of entries keeps going down, we may change that giveaway to something else. Okay. And so, audience, I'm giving you a chance, right? we got over a million y'all listen to us. What would you like to see us give away for IBM? It can be anything. It doesn't mean we'll do it, but I'd yeah. love to have some ideas. That, you know, do y'all want something different? Do y'all want some? What's you know, worth your time to s- sign up? That's yeah, and, what we And what would you know. like to have that would be cool that helps you in your job or your day-to-day activities, right? And, I mean, this can be everything from dog watering bowls to USB drives shaped like bass. I don't care. Just ideas, right? So anyway, audience, I'd love to hear from you. Like I said, if this trend continues, we're going to change the giveaway. It's kind of sad though, Paige. We've been doing that IBM shirt giveaway for years. Yeah. 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 So anyway, we'll see where it goes. But, you know, most important thing is our listeners. And if we need to change the giveaway, we can convince IBM to do that. And then speaking of doing that, go to LinkedIn and do that. Search for OGGN, sign up for our page, sign up for our group. And then if you want to join the street team, which, by the way, love Brian Mon to death. He's He was instrumental in getting the street team organized. But his job has gotten so busy that he doesn't have time for both. So he's stepping down as leader of the street team. So if anybody in our audience would like to lead our street team and have that clout and that prestige of being the leader of the OGGN street team, let me know. I'm thinking it's probably a couple hours of work a week. And what I really need is a project manager. I need somebody that's organized that can track stuff. Ooh, who, who wrote in that's a project manager? Oh, do we have a project manager who wrote yeah, in? Yeah, hey, Michelle at Devon, you interested? Or you, <laughs> Michelle, any of your peers at Devon you want to volunteer? The cool thing, and, and I'm being serious, the cool thing is you get a lot of cool stuff by working with us. First, you get to hang out with us, right? You become part of the family. But things like we'll be at OTC this week, you'd get to go for free as part of our press right. team if you led yes. the street team. 
You get to go to all of our events for free, and then you actually get to help shape the street team. You get to mold it into what you think is most beneficial to everybody. So, And um, we have stickers. And you get stickers, finally. <laughs> and speaking of finally, if you're like myself, Paige, you are experts to come speak at your event, reach out to us. The speaking gigs have went through the roof. So if, if you want to have us come speak, let us know now so we can block up a time in the calendar before somebody else takes it. And then finally, first Friday Q&A, you just listen to it. If you thought this was cool, you thought it was helpful, simply submit a question either at OGGN.com or OilandGasThisWeek.com. And if we use your question on the air, you get a big shout out. Obviously. Yeah. Ready to get out of here? Yep. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for August 2021. This month, we have five events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. This month, OGGN will be hosting our monthly happy hour at the Cannon in Houston, Texas on August 26th. Our July happy hour was a hit, so if you weren't there for the last one, we hope to see you there this month. At this event, you'll be able to meet some of OGGN's hosts, network with other oil and gas industry professionals, all while enjoying great food and drinks. Other than OGGN's events, we have three in-person events and one hybrid in-person and online event. First up, we have our three in-person events. The first being OTC, or the Offshore Technology Conference, at NRG Stadium in Houston, Texas, from August 16th to the 19th. Next, we have the IPAA Leaders in Industry Luncheon at the Petroleum Club of Houston on August 17th. And lastly, we have the 2021 Connected Plant Conference at the Renaissance Hotel in Austin, Texas, from August 30th to September 2nd. Other than our three in-person events, we have our hybrid event, which is NAPE, or the North American Prospect Expo. Now this summit is a hybrid event because it's both online and in-person. The in-person portion of the event will be from August 18th to the 20th at the George R. Brown Convention Center, while the online portion of the event is from August 9th to September 3rd. If you have any questions about these events or any podcasts within the Oil & Gas Global Network, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for August. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.